Today's reading comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It's Philippians 4, verse 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we sit here, Lord, we uh, desire to hear from you. Lord, what might you have for each one of us? We open our minds and our hearts. We say, Lord, speak to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you long to reveal yourself. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I saw these headlines from a study that uh, came out. This is from a couple weeks ago. I saw it briefly there. It says, there was a study that says, thinking too much can cause you to die sooner. (laughs) Thinking too much can cause you to die sooner. Harvard researchers found that limiting brain activity was a good thing when it comes to healthy aging. (laughs) So um, evidently what they did is they tested, they found that people who were over and who died younger than 80 and above 80, the ones that lived longer had a uh, more of this particular protein and uh, they put that protein then into mice and worms and uh, they found that that did lead to greater length in them and that that, that the protein triggered a gene which uh, had to do with brain activity and um, thus you have this thinking too much can cause you to die sooner so what's the moral of the story? feel real sorry for researchers who have their hard work of studies presented as in the media with headlines like this. Can you just imagine if you're a researcher and going, really, this is what you come out of my study with? Um, no, I, I actually like what a, uh, someone in aging research, they actually did find the, the, uh, the study significant. And they said, I think this is overactivity, out-of-control excitation. Excitation? What is that word? Excitation? It's not good for the brain. You want the neurons to be active when and where you want them to be active, not just to be generally firing off. Um, And to me, this is a little more intuitively correct, right? Because today, one thing we're talking about is the idea of anxiety and worries and fears. And I consider that an overactive brain at times, (laughs) neurons firing off when they shouldn't be. Um, I don't know much about what my neurons, but I sure feel like they're firing off sometimes when I don't want them to. Uh, quite a bit. <clears throat> and the Bible's, uh, as, we, as we're you know, continuing on in Philippians, and we're coming to the very sort of end of our book this week and next week, in this pursuit of joy, this is an issue that gets in the way. What we do with our being anxious and our worries and fears, and which is a very real part of our life. And the Bible actually ironically finds it a, um, a unique opportunity 
to experience a profound thing God wants to do for us. And ironically, um, I think there's a lot of different ways in which we're told in our culture to deal with anxiousness. And I'm not saying there's such bad things, but they actually get in the way of receiving a gift God wants to give us through our anxiousness. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit. It's funny, I, total, I, I wrote this this morning, this one piece, Anxiety and the Pursuit of Joy, and I realized I can't say that because I'm not really talking about anxiety. That's more of a technical term. So anxiousness, the pursuit of God, pursuit of joy. It's funny, some of these people come up to me after sermons a lot of times, they go, well, technically, I'm like, okay, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. Right? I just, I didn't give it much thought, honest. It just popped out, you know. So stream of consciousness preaching, I get in trouble sometimes. Um, but we're talking about anxiousness and the pursuit of joy. And if you remember kind of last week, in this, you know, all, this is the whole book of Philippians is about this great pursuit of joy. And when it says, you know, at the, right before, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. You know, it's not this idea that if you're a spiritual person, you should feel happy all the time. That that should be what a spiritual person is, is a happy person. Now, this is the idea that you can pursue joy. You can take hold of joy in the midst of any circumstance. That there is a truth and a reality to who God is and his promises for us and his presence that you need to pull down into each and every situation. As Karl Barth said, you know, the joy in Philippians is a defiant nevertheless. It's a joy despite what's happening. It's almost defiantly saying, I will pull down the true reality of what's going on despite the stuff that's happening right now. That's what real joy is. is And you need to pursue that joy. You need to have that perspective which grabs hold of that joy. But kind of implied in there is almost like a, and I think Paul then addresses it with the next verse, is the question, but what do I do with all the stuff I'm dealing with? Because we all have all kinds of stuff which gets in the way of joy, don't we? Things that cause us worries and fears and makes us anxious and all the stuff. And it's then he addresses that in some ways, I think, in the very next verse. And he's actually addressed it then following this, which we'll talk about next week, but these next two verses where it says, then do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. This word for anxiousness there, is not necessarily a negative term. Earlier in, in, the, in the very same book, he used it here, and he said, uh, speaking of Timothy, he said, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. That word for interest is the same word. So he takes a real genuine anxiousness. You know, a genuine worry, a good worry, because his worry right there is staked in your welfare. You know, um, a good concern. And this is one of the things interesting that I think is, um, uh, this is the same term Jesus is used to translate Jesus uh, in the um, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, when he talks about worry, same word. And there it's also, it's not even that you're not supposed to have that worry, but what are you placing a worry in? If you remember the f- famous passage, it says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And it's an amazing passage, but to skip down to the bottom, he says, 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And here, and I think you need to catch here and with Paul, you're not condemned for feeling anxiousness and for feeling worry, or somehow that shouldn't be happening to you. But it's like, what do you do when it does? And what do you do with that stuff? Because here it says, like, you know, what you will eat, what you will drink, what tomorrow brings. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to worry about in life. It's a very real thing while we're in this world. So what do I do with all that stuff? And when he says here in, um, in 4, as he goes, don't be anxious about anything but everything, but here's what you should do. Uh, and it's similar to seeking the kingdom of God, but different, little different context. But he says, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And you see there's kind of four words here, right? It's kind of interesting. Prayers, petitions, thanksgivings, and requests. Boom, 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 boom. Those first word, petition, actually is generally translated as prayer. Most other places this word's used. But I don't think that'd be a very good translation, you know, um, by prayer and prayer, with thanksgiving. It doesn't really work in English. But they are different words. That first word, prayer, is more that generalized idea. You know, we go to God in prayer. You know, it's more the sort of the um, whole subject. And that's, this petition is more specific. And it is, you know, an entreaty to God, asking God for something. You know, a, a petitioning God to do this thing. And similar to that is this idea of request. But the word for request here is not a word for prayer. It's a word like a request of something. Earlier, someone made a request of Pilate, while the other one is really about addressing God. But one thing you get from this idea of requests, petitions, prayers, is, um, is they really are about everything. I mean, the very idea, don't be anxious about, and the word there is like about anything, but in everything. In fact, I think even the translators of it didn't, felt uncomfortable with how broad it was, but it's really what it says, so they changed it to every situation because they want to make it a little broader, but it's really like anything, everything, with requests, petitions, prayers, bring them to God. I think sometimes we don't think God wants to hear all the detailed stuff, or we, we'll take all this little stuff that's actually bugging us or things we're concerned about, and we'll try to create the spiritual version of it, or think, oh, that's not really a, you know, a, a spiritual thing to pray for. I don't think God's concerned about those kind of things. But here is an exhaustive category that he's concerned about all the things going on in our lives. And one of the problems where we don't think about, um, you know, God wouldn't be concerned about those things because they're too small, it's a bit of a silliness with that, because I think relative to God, like, everything's small. You know, where where are you drawing the line on the spiritual, non-spiritual things? You know, it's kind of silly in some ways. You know, oh, well, God's going to think this one's a biggie, you know? You know, like, no, you know, that's not... So it's, it's, if, it, if, it's, if it's weighing on you, you offer it. And what, what you don't get is that sometimes what you're doing with the prayer thing is you're stopping, and it's really a confession of faith. You're saying, God, I believe you are here and that you are listening, and I take all these things and I bring them into your presence. I don't sit on them right now. And I confess that I am weak. I confess that I need these things. I'm honest, Lord. This stuff has me scared, has me worried, has me upset. And I bring God right into that moment. That's why you actually don't want to exclude anything. You don't want to have the part of your life which God does not have anything to do with and the part that he does. 
right? God is involved with all of it. But there is a line, something you do, that does in some ways qualify it. And it's not figuring out the important stuff. It's the idea that it's with thanksgiving. Ah, that changes things. So that is the key. You bring all these requests and stuff, but it's with thanksgiving we bring it. What does thanksgiving do? I like what G. Walter Hansen said. He said, the absence of thanksgiving to God in prayer turns off the power in prayer. The absence of thanksgiving to God in prayer turns off the power in prayer. Without thanksgiving, prayer becomes merely a way of complaining to God about all the bad things that are or might be happening. The only way to fulfill Paul's challenge, this is in Philippi, to do everything without grumbling or arguing is to pray in every situation with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is this powerful thing which puts everything in perspective, right? It's, it's sort of like before you pray, by doing it with thanksgiving, you, in some ways you mold it and change it and make it something new in you when you bring it to God. You know, you're, you're, um, you're, you're uh, upset about something that's happening at work, about your boss or some responsibilities, and you want to pray to God for that. But in the midst of that, you're thinking, Lord, I, I am, I'm thankful that you see and you know all things that you see what's going on. Lord, I'm thankful that I have a job, that I'm able to support my family with that. Thank you that I was able to get an education and even have some of the gifts and abilities that allow me to even address some of these things. Lord, thank you um, for the, even the relationship I have with these people at work, or even that I can, you know, inter- you're, just, you're sitting just being grateful for all these different aspects of your life. And now by the time you get to the other end of that, your prayer request is often very different than it is when it started. And it's not an issue of finding out the stuff that's not important. It's a matter of letting it be transformed into this right perspective. You know, life is this amazing place. And you sit with that in praise and adoration. How amazing it is it you can even go to God and believe that he hears you right now in that moment. That's an amazing thing. And so we go to God with everything. And we present it with thanksgiving to him. And what does he say happens? then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And this little language here, the peace of God and guarding, I'm fairly convinced that this is a reference to the Roman Empire. You know, you remember, remember if you remember, Philippi is this key Roman colony, right? It's, the, it's like a little mini-Rome, and, uh, you know, all the retired military guys are the first who established Philippi and, and all the stuff. And you remember, in, um, and Paul's referencing through this letter, almost like comparing it. Your citizenship is not in Rome. Your citizenship is in heaven. You're saying everyone confesses Caesar as Lord. Everyone is going to confess Jesus as Lord. And you come here, and one of the key phrases in Rome was Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Because there was, you know, all these little countries before would always be fighting one another, Right? And who was the great savior of the world? Caesar, who united the whole world under the great Roman Empire. And all these formerly fighting colonies now live in peace. The peace of Rome, of course, buttressed by the might of Rome, you know, to enforce that peace. And here he's going, he's almost like mocking that in some ways. When you pray right there, that peace of God will guard, be a garrison you know, of troops around your heart and your mind. That's the true peace, not the peace of Rome. That real peace will be like, 
you know, like, be like guardians around your heart and your mind. And isn't your heart and mind where the attack is when you're anxious? Your heart being the place of your emotions and will and your mind. When you're anxious about something, it is attacking your mind. It's attacking your hearts with fears and worries and anger and all these other emotion things. And it says that is where the guard will come down. And it says it's a peace which transcends all understanding. Right? So it's not a self-help method. It's not the right way to think about my problems. It's not a reasoned approach which will make those anxieties go away. Right? It's, it's a supernatural thing. It's a peace which transcends this world, transcends our minds, will come down and guard us and be present with us. This peace of God. That's a phenomenal promise. And that's really the promise. Don't be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and that peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. And by the way, I don't know where you are in your scripture memory, but this is a great one if you don't have it in your pocket. And if you've never done scripture memory, this is a good one to start with. Walk around with it, learn it, store it in your heart. For me, this one comes up a lot. Very useful. Now, listen to this promise, though. This is a promise by God. It's actually a little problematic, isn't it? Because you're asking, is that it? Well, hold on. I have all these real issues, right? You've said everything, right? Anything, everything, request, bring it up to God. And you're like, what's missing in here? Where's the answers? Aren't you going to do anything about any of this stuff? Honestly, there's there's no promise that he's going to answer any of those things. Well, that stinks. You know, the reason I'm praying is because I don't like this. And I want something done about this stuff. Huh. It's kind of problematic, isn't it? I'm not not saying God doesn't answer prayer, but that's not the promise here, is it? There's no promise in this text for any kind of answer to anything you're requesting. So what's the implications of that? Well, I think one implication when it comes to answer to prayers anyway is um, sometimes when you want answers to your prayer, it implies that you know what's best. Do you, you really know how reality ought to be? And you're kind of your advisor to God going, God, reality's off here, and here's what ought to happen, and God, this is what you need to do there. And I don't know about you, but being God's above my pay grade. You know, honestly, knowing the beginning from the end, to know all people, all situations, and to know what is truly good and how all reality should be, um, prob- you know, it's kind of ridiculous to think in some ways, isn't it? There's a real humility. And does that mean you're not supposed to answer or ask for things? But you bring your burdens, your cares, your worries, all this stuff up unto him. And you lay it at your throne and you say, God, you will do what's best. And yes, I long for these things. I think in some ways the analogy is kind of like a three-year-old to a parent. You know, it's not like you don't want your three-year-old to say all the things they want, but you as a parent sort of hear their cry and their need, but you don't necessarily do what they want. Can you imagine if three-year-olds ran the world or ran your home, you know? No, you know, but it's not that you dismiss what they say. You love them, you care for them. But sometimes when they cry, all these different things are bugging you, what you do? You go and give them a hug. And then they're like, I'm better now. 
They don't even know what to ask for. They just know they're in need, and that need is what they come at. And I think sometimes in prayer, that's often what we are. You know, we go to our Father who art in heaven, and we, we, give, we lay all this stuff before him. But the second, and I think more powerful implication of this, is that in order to have the peace of God guarding your heart and mind, nothing needs to change in your circumstances. Isn't that kind of radical? You don't need an answer to any of those prayers in order to have the peace of God. That's an amazing promise. That you can deal with anything. With the peace of God guarding your heart and mind. There's no circumstance, there's no person who can do anything to take that away. There's no circumstance, there's no situation where you can't have the peace of God, that you can't have God next to you, that you can't endure it. That's incredible. That's the radical promise. That God can, will be with you and that you can deal with it. Anything. In some ways, that is the amazing promise. We go to God with all this stuff and the peace of God will guard us. Now, this is in contrast, and I said there were a couple, I think, called the normal sort of secular approaches, or oftentimes in the church approaches to dealing with anxiousness, that I think is problematic for the main purpose, for the main reason that it actually stops you from experiencing what God wants you to experience and stops you from that boldness he wants to give us. I mean, what are the classic ways we deal with anxiousness, right? One of them is simply to have um, approaches which tell you, don't be anxious, Right? to reduce your anxiety. And I'm not saying it's bad. I mean, hey, I calm myself down. That's good. And have techniques to try to give yourself peace. But there's a little problem with it because oftentimes that anxiousness and, or just kind of ceasing yourself is in some ways to um, pretend that those things don't exist anymore. That the things that gave you anxiety, somehow you put them out of your mind in a form of denial, that they're not actually real. And don't think about them. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's, it's, it's a little problematic. And, 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 and kind of related to this idea of, of don't have any fears. I, lo- I love what Amelia Earhart said. She says, fears are paper tigers. You know, she says, you know, fears, they feel like a tiger, but they're made of paper. They're not even real. Now, what happened to Amelia Earhart? Right, do you guys remember? Yeah, she decided, I can fly around the world by myself in an airplane, and she was never heard from again. Fear is also the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> All right? <clears throat> you know, just simply living in denial of all fears and worries is not a great solution. It's, it can be a foolish solution. Or to imagine that all these things that cause you anxiousness aren't real. It's not, that's not real. There is a ton of stuff. Right? There's real stuff that you don't have control over. Real concerns, real vulnerabilities. And what's sort of the second approach of people? If the first approach is sort of this just deny that the things even exist and don't think about them, the other side, I think, is try to remove all things which cause you anxiety from your life. That's the solution of control. I will control my life, and everything that's a variable, everything that could change about tomorrow, I'm going to control those things. I'm going to live an incredibly safe, controlled life. If if it's something that has an element of lack of control in the midst of that thing, I will control it. And why is that problematic? You can't control it. 
You can't control life. It's a lie. Anything could happen to you. The things you're worried about actually understate the true risk we live at in every moment. Right? Count all your worries and fears right now. It's way worse. Really, anything honestly can happen so much worse than you're even imagining. You are so out of control right now. You know, and, and the idea that you can control your life, what you end up doing is just grabbing these few random things and then wrapping your hands tight around them. And what we'll often do is you'll end up suffocating some people around you trying to control all that stuff. And thinking, and then feeling this incredible fear when the things you want to control in life can't be controlled. You ever try to control kids? <laughs> Doesn't work. And people who don't have kids, you have to trust me on that. You were not controllable as a child. But I mean, it's just, there's millions of things, and you can't, you simply can't control it, and the attempts to control it are futile, and they end up causing you more problems. But there's a more insidious problem to that, in that when you try to, you know, cease anxieties, when you try to control all your circumstances, you actually don't allow God in. You don't allow the peace of God to come into your heart. We actually need a level of vulnerability that's very real and present in our minds in order for us to walk with God. There's actually a radical life that we can embrace vulnerabilities. You know, you can embrace the idea that I could be wrong. You can embrace working in a situation that I might get me fired because it's what I need to do or what's right rather than living in a place where I can never get fired. Or I can, I can never be wrong, so I won't give my opinions. No, we can live these radical, vulnerable lives, taking great risks. I like um, a new book by Andy Crouch. He said, strong and weak. And the idea is that we are both strong and weak. And the idea of being weak here is this idea that you can, be, you can embrace the radical vulnerability of your life. And when you embrace the incredible vulnerability of it all and know that God is there, you can actually be ironically bold and strong and lead well and take strength not because you you know have believe yourself to be so strong and powerful but because you know god is with you and you can be it's like that a strong and weak leader has no problem being wrong you know no problem admitting that that wasn't a good idea they're not afraid to take great risks in some ways that's the radical life i think god's calling us to this idea that you know we can we are weak. We are out of control. We can control so little of these things. But God is with me, and that peace of God can guard my heart in any circumstance. And I can walk with great boldness. And I think Paul, just as he continues down in, in this chapter, he kind of reflects on that. And he says, I, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. There's this radical thing that I can deal with this. There's nothing you can't deal with. And it's present, and, and you don't ignore those anxieties, you don't ignore those worries. All that stuff that weighs your heart, don't feel bad that you have them. But what do you do? Pray unto God in everything and everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. If you don't have the peace of God guarding your heart and mind about something, bring it to God. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel shamed over it. It's real. We're broken. This world, we're, we're small. We're vulnerable. This is a hard place to live. There's stuff all the time that happens. 
Be real about it. You know, God, God wants to hear it. I don't care what it is. If it bothers you, then it should be heard. That's really the test. What's the test of the, the thing? Is it bugging you? There. Is it burdening you? Is it worrying you? Is it making you afraid? No. With thanksgiving, put in that greater perspective. I'll just close with one. Um, I told myself I, I didn't want to talk about all this, you know, the lawsuit and all that kind of stuff, you know, because we moved past, it's a new day. But it was such a wonderful trove of spiritual illustrations. Um, so, you know, just one thing for me in dealing with this particular one is some of that freedom that I feel like God gave me. So, you know, one, I remember one morning I sat there in prayer, and it, it, it was like after, you know, um, I'd never been sued before in my life, never been part of something like that. And then I, I remember we went to court, and for some of us who were there, and they announced the name of the lawsuit as, you know, Newton Presbyterian Church v. Garrett Smith et al. And I always had seen that in writing, but there's something about hearing it in court. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, that's my name. All right. And it's just it's like chills. You know, it's like, this is just, just chilling is the only thing I could say. I remember sitting almost like a buzzing, like going like, wow. And then seeing the stuff and, you know, reading the stuff in the Boston Globe and reading the stuff in there. And then sitting in the whole court thing thinking, wow, truth is just a game. You know, you, you, you kind of believe that reality will win out, and you realize reality seems, you know, this judge has no idea what's going on, and these people are presenting whatever, and they're going to, and I'm going, wow, the vulnerability here. And realizing the stuff that you're actually being sued for, and I remember just in prayer the next morning, just going, oh, Lord, I cannot, and I tried to, like, you know, do the denial part, just push it out of my head. <laughs> peaceful, you know, I'll just be peaceful, right? Not think about, no, there's real stuff. You know, you're really, there's a lot of stuff that can happen. All kinds, everything exploded. And I remember just sitting before God and just praying and going, Lord, I am, I'm, that was really disturbing. I, was, I find myself scared. I don't want to be, you know, worried about these different things. And, you know, you have your name slandered, people reading and thinking, all that kind of stuff, you know. And I felt like when I was bringing it to the Lord, Lord kind of like, I felt like a whisper back at me going like, so what's going to happen? What will happen? I said, well, you know, I remember his prayer going there. They'll take a lot of money. Okay. What else? Well, they'll, they'll say bad things about me. Uh-huh. What else? Well, that's about it. <laughs> you know? Um, okay. I'll be there. And I remember just sitting right there, just like, almost like this, and feeling like this peace just pour over my body. You know, pour over my mind and heart, and I went, it doesn't matter. They can't touch you. I mean, what? You know, and it wasn't even that they couldn't touch us. It was just more like, lots. I'm with you. I've been with you. And I walked up, and it wasn't just that moment having the peace guarding my heart and mind. There's like a lasting, almost like boldness you can feel in your life. It's like, okay, I can walk. I, don't, I need to live in fear. I think for a while I lived in fear of things like this happening. Then it happens, and you think, what? Why am I living in fear of that? And it gives you a confidence in all things of your life. That's the thing that he's calling us to. He's calling us to live in the sense that you are never abandoned, you are never alone. You can take hold of that joy and you can bring it down and there's going to be lots of stuff that's going to get in that way, but none of it can stop you from having God's presence with you and having the peace of God guarding your heart and your mind. That's the promise. Let's pray. And maybe uh, for a moment, are there things that you want to 
offer unto God right now? <laughs> Prayers, petitions, requests. Just lay them before the Lord. Oh, Lord, thank you that we can step into eternity from this little place we are right now. And as we close our eyes and we turn our minds and hearts upward, that we can enter into heaven. We can come before your throne. That we can lay these burdens, these fears, these worries, this sadness, and just lay it before you. Lord, we thank you that you hear. We thank you that you know them. We thank you that you can do all things. We thank you that you want to do what's best. And we believe, indeed, you listen to the cries of your children. That you rejoice over us. That you love us beyond what we can imagine. Oh, Lord. Fill your promise now and let your peace guard our heart and mind. In Christ Jesus. We pray.